Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon. And as always, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever or wherever you tune into today's podcast from. And it's two guests on today's podcast, which always makes my job that little bit easier. And it's all things recruitment on the episode today. Um, the events industry, like many other sectors, uh, has suffered um, in terms of recruitment and personnel as a result of the pandemic and other factors as well. And we're going to be talking about some of those factors and where we currently are in terms of recruitment within the events industry at the moment with our guests today. Firstly, we welcome Mr. Mike Frost. Mike is the co-founder of Expo Cast, a specialist agency that deals in recruitment for the exhibition sector. Mike, welcome along to the podcast. Hi, James. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome indeed. And Mr. Alex Hewitt. Alex is the CEO of AOK Events. Alex, welcome along to the podcast. Uh, morning, James. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for your patience, uh, particularly given that we had a couple of technical difficulties on the first run of this recording this morning, which I don't mind referencing at all because we've all been there, uh, mm. particularly in the last few years with stuff like this. Um, so, gentlemen, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your patience. We pick up and we go again. Um, and I start by coming to you, Mike, first of all, for your opinion on whether or not we are in a recruitment crisis at the moment in the industry. Maybe you could paint a little bit of a picture of, of where we actually sit at the moment. Is it a crisis? Is, is it a little bit less than that? What do we need to consider? Uh, I'd say uh, I'd say more of a challenge than a, than a crisis. Um, I don't I don't see any events not happening because of a, a shortage of, of people. It's just much more difficult to find the right people at the moment. Um, but it's it's not at every level. It's not for every job role. Um, you know, at the at the delivery end where the the bulk of the redundancies took place, obviously those those are the people who had to go and find their their, their livelihoods elsewhere during the pandemic um, and many of them for several different reasons aren't necessarily interested in coming back so you, you've got event organizers for the last 18 months have essentially all been I don't want to say scrapping over the same same talent pool but certainly trying to find the right people within a, a dwindled um, a dwindled candidate pool uh, whereas the the senior vacancies haven't come back uh, with quite the same volume as, as pre-pandemic levels, but we have lots of, of candidates at that level. So you've got a a, a challenging candidate pool at the, the delivery end, but a, a, a challenging lack of, of vacancies at the more senior end. Mm. I, I'm coming to you, Alex, at, at, at AOK events. You know, I, I would presume that you guys are very much in sort of the, the operational, the delivery aspect, um, yep. working with venues. Um, so very much sort of boots on the ground. What what, what are some of the challenges that, that you faced, uh, I suppose, during the pandemic and post-pandemic from a recruitment point of view? Did you yourself suffer, suffer losses as a business? Yeah, we went down from 45 to 15 members of staff, uh, none of whom um deserve to lose their job and actually we've kept in touch with most of those 30 people and i think only two or three of them have remained in the events industry everybody else has gone out and found a new job uh and that's a you know a reasonably good litmus paper of the subject matter that we're that we're talking about that's a lot of great people that either sell sold sorry or, or organized or marketed events that aren't doing that um anymore I think the problem around recruitment is, A, there's obviously a dearth of candidates to fill uh, junior and sort of, you know, mid-ranking positions. But event management companies, many of whom have been, you know, absolutely 
devastated by COVID. Now everything's really, really busy, but people don't want to add lots of salary to their P&L mm. without knowing that there's sustainable business there for the future. So people like us, like others, are leaving it to quite last minute um, to recruit. So you wouldn't recruit in January this year for a very busy summer party season. Because sure. you, in January, we were still locked down. We were still being asked to work sure, from yeah. The thought of recruiting and adding to your uh, your P&L when you're still working from home. So it was only March, April, where suddenly there was just this absolute avalanche of inquiries and sales that you suddenly thought, you know, holy cow, I got so much work on this summer and we've got this whole hospitality business, you know, going on. I, I need some some ground support, some foot soldiers to actually help deliver it. Whereas two or three months, I think, would have been a, a, the, the right sort of timescale to find someone pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, mm. it's just taking miles longer to find candidates. Come on. Yeah, so come in, Mike. Come in, Mike. It, it takes a lot longer to find those candidates, but you also have to be much, much quicker with them once you have found them. So the, the recruitment process itself, as soon as that candidate is introduced or has applied, if... Um, if you're not quick enough with your with your interview process and your decision making, uh, then then you're you're very likely to to miss out on that candidate because um, certainly at that delivery end, most candidates are applying if if they're active at least. Obviously, I'm a third party recruiter, so my my job includes going out and finding passive candidates as well. But those who are proactively looking for a new vacancy, they they will have multiple applications on the go, multiple multiple interviews. Um, and and yeah, you, you may miss out on those candidates if you're too slow once once you have found them. And, 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 and sorry, and a number of our competitors in the event management uh, field, you know, there are a small number of big boys, and then a, a, a larger number of medium-sized companies, which is kind of where AOK Events fits in, and then hundreds of uh, hundreds of small companies. But the the big boys are currently offering some silly money to attract talent to 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 fill holes that they've got you know within their business that kind of no one else down the food chain can compete with so you can't compete with them financially i mean we could do but it would be you know it would be a bit like a football team you know offering someone rubbish the highest salary in the team everyone else would start getting upset wouldn't it um so the only thing that really you can compete with or not compete with but actually you know, blow the big boys out of the water is culture. So culture and uh, the environment within which you can offer employment, particularly to the younger candidates, is, you know, it, it is, uh, is as important as money to that demographic demographic of, uh, you know, candidate. Uh, but it's, it's really complicated. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it a sustainable practice for those bigger organizations that you reference Alex to, to be offering those sort of salaries because the, the AEO employee benchmark and salary study that was published this year said that one one of the sort of the, the, the downsides to working in the events industry is that compared to other sectors like tech and uh, and, and finance that there's just not the salaries in place to, to attract maybe graduates and, and, and younger people into the industry is is throwing money at it now um it, an unsustainable sort of practice is it going to come back to bite them given that there is some organizers still have this uncertainty over long-term events 
Well, well, it could be the best thing that ever happens to the events industry if you if you look at it the other way. You know, mm. it, it, nobody's ever gone into the events industry for the money. They've gone there because it's fun and because you get to see the world and book, you know, well-known bands and work at amazing venues. And it, and, and, and it is, you know, it's a terrific uh, industry uh, if, if, if that's what, you know, floats your boat. But it, it's always been underpaid. But it would be great if it could become better paid, you know, if it could rival advertising, for instance, which has always been notoriously well-paid, you yeah. know, within the sort of media sector. Um, but in order for that to happen, you're going to have to get clients willing to pay more money to event management companies to uh, help them organise their events. Uh, and that is, you know, but those, but those same companies, you know, perhaps are going to find it harder to sign off a larger fee to use an external agency when they've got in-house event organisers already. Mm. It's about the value proposition, really. Because, you know, talking from the exhibitions and, and the conferences side, um, the, I mean, on, on from that AEO salary survey, which obviously is coming from, from an exhibition's perspective, um, you mentioned the word graduates, James. Uh, you know, I think part of that report also mentions, do we even need degrees? And I think for, for many mm. disciplines within events, you know, we don't necessarily need to be demanding degrees, certainly not event management degrees, because they they don't necessarily cover the exhibitions side of the, uh, of the industry anyway. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of that that value proposition, you know, most exhibition organisers are are private companies, or you know, obviously in the, in the US, it's um, it, a lot of that industry is is association led. So that's not for profit anyway. Mm. And um, you know, it, it's it all comes out of the customer's marketing budget, doesn't it? Really. So if you've got to show that that your events and and whether or not they, you know, you've established a three six five community around that as well during the pandemic that you're going to keep going. Um, you've got to you've got to show those marketing teams why they should invest that spend. That's the only way you're going to be able to, to put the prices up because if you know some of the biggest events they're already wall bound. They can't grow in terms of they can't grow scale wise in terms of the square meters. They've they've got to do it in terms of finding new revenue streams or just mm. putting the prices up. Either that or the only other way to increase salaries is to um, reduce the profit margin. And <laughs> I don't think that's a decision anyone anyone in a Sure. Um, yeah. Decision making positions is going to make. Um, yeah. You know. It, it, yeah. It, it's it. And, and you mentioned marketing there, and and, and marketing professionals are one of the mm. uh, areas that was highlighted as a real real issue within the the events and the exhibition industries recruiting marketing professionals into that sector. Mm. But perhaps one of the reasons we cited that is that is that the sector has been sort of deemed fairly sort of stale and, and static and maybe not open to, 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 to really sort of creative marketing thinking by comparison to other industries. Um, Alex, is that sort of a, a fair analysis? Do we need to be a bit, bit more free thinking in order to attract creative marketing people to market some of these events? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, marketing has been absolutely key to helping event management companies kind of survive, you know, the, the, the last couple of years. You know, we've all had to find ways to uh you know survive the you know the the desperate period of march to you know july august 2020 but actually after that um i, I think that if you were reasonably entrepreneurial as a business you there were abilities to you know to make money whether it was you know sending out hampers or or you know branded you know apparel and uh, swag to clients or you pivoted to 
to virtual events and all of those you know needed to be marketed and by september october 2020 every event management company was out there with with something to help their clients some product to help their clients stay engaged um but it was perhaps the ones that had the best marketing mm. um whether that was below the line above the line through the line whatever it was um uh, you know that that made the most headway mm. uh so I, I i don't think um I, th I, I think the recruitment crisis around marketing i don't think that's changed particularly um uh, you know due to covid every every company still needs good marketing uh, and I still think there are, there are lots of good marketing people out there. Mm. I, I think a part of this as, as well is um, willingness to look outside of the events industry in terms of trying to attract talent from, from outside. The, the the risk is always the fact that, you know, the, they don't have that that knowledge and experience of working within events. Um, mm. So so that that is a risk. And, and I suppose one way to mitigate that is to make sure that your onboarding and your training processes are absolutely top notch um so that you can you can fill those gaps um but it, it's in in recruitment for, for events you know much more so now with you know when you ask how, how soon do you need this person to start unsurprisingly it's yesterday uh <laughs> yesterday we always need somebody yesterday and that that was the case pre-pandemic but it's it's very much just kind of 99 percent of vacancies now yeah. um which means that you're constantly, you know, companies are constantly chasing their tails. They're constantly putting up, you know, fight, fighting fires, essentially, um, which makes it much more difficult to think about how you would arm a non-events person with that experience so that they could deliver what the role needs them to. Um, but but that is that is you know there there is a wealth of talent outside of this industry who would be able to be very very successful within it mm -hmm. but yeah. if 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 the events industry isn't convinced that they'll they'll be up for the job that's on them to to figure out how to train them properly um, but then there's also that that challenge of how do we attract those people and which sectors do we look at um mm. because it, it should not be the sectors who are poaching our talent um yeah agreed. Because, because they are the ones who can pay more money we you know we're not the worst players by, by any means mm. um so perhaps we, we you know we just need to look at the the sectors that are the worst payers um and then and then at least we can be attracting <laughs> people from a money perspective as well yeah I, I, and from a from a training point of view i've seen I'm a jobbing freelancer, and that's something I'll, I'll, I'll come to in a second. I'll, I'll part the sort of the freelance question for a moment. But uh, I've seen people who've, who've stepped into events, who've never worked at events before, and that they just have that personality, have that they have that thing about them. You know, whether you know, some an element of common sense, an element of physical determination, a mental, a mental aptitude. They just get it, and and. I think from a training point of view, you, you know, it's right to say that there need to be training processes in place, Alex. And But but similarly, you've probably had your own examples in, in your own career where you've brought somebody on board who's never had events experience before and literally overnight they just get it. That, that you know, finding those people is, is, is tricky, but they are out there. I think, you know, whenever we, you know, advertise a job and we've maybe taken 10 people on this year, you kind of put a job post uh, on your website, you advertise it using social media, LinkedIn, etc, uh, etc. Et and normally you get a load of inquiries in. And, and for AOK events, the way that we look at those is if somebody's doing an event management degree, 
then there's a tick there in the sense that you know they're interested in the event industry and they're not just kind of applying you know for anywhere and you get lots of cvs from people you know who work in green graces and they fancy a you know change of career but they probably don't get through to the interview stage so when it gets through to the interview stage and we do that kind of via zoom you know originally and then we get people into the office if we get down to the last three or four i know instantly and by instantly within 30 seconds if they're going to be the right candidate mm. for the job or not and it, it doesn't have anything to do with their employment their current employment their background their experience where they were educated or anything like that they've either got it or they or they haven't got it mm. and it, it's easy to see the ones that haven't got it and the ones that you think have got it then then an interview unfurls uh, and you find out over the course of 30 40 minutes you know what their attitudes are towards you know late hours travel weekend work working on their own collaborating with others idea generation uh, dispute resolution problem solving all the things that event managers uh, have to you know have to kind of do on a on a daily basis from a sales point of view um uh, obviously some experience within the industry has helped but i think in in that sector certainly if you've sold something similar but in a different industry beforehand Mm. Then again, it's culturally whether they'll make a make a good mm. fit. Do they yeah. have an interest in sport, music, arts, etc.? Something that they'll be that they'll be selling, uh, and then you kind of take it from there. Sure. I was, so, uh, sales is an interesting one from from an exhibitions perspective. If you're looking at um, more of an entry level or a sort of sec second job in sales, then yes, you, I think as long as someone's got some kind of B two B consultative selling experience under their belt, they could be a good fit. But it's it's interesting actually it's not just about selling them the the events you know the exhibitions sector it's it's also trying to convince them that the excitement around that is enough to mitigate the fact that the sector the exhibition might be serving isn't necessarily the most glamorous you know there, there are lots of really fantastic um sectors that exhibitions run for you know, really really exciting ones but there are also um I'll try and do this without name dropping any specific events but there are also some, some some sectors that you know you have trade shows for that are, sound particularly dull and sure. um and, and so it, you know it's about really finding those exciting parts of of exhibitions like the travel like the career progression and you know if you're in sales there is good money to be made mm. not necessarily uh compared to say you know SaaS sales for a technology company or something but yeah, you know, there, there is really good money. There's there's been some great success stories of, of candidates of um, employees who have joined as a sales exec, and within five years they're kind of you know portfolio directors. There have been some wonderful success stories in, in exhibitions. So it's just finding those right kind of things, um, figuring out when you're talking to the candidates, what's going to kind of pique their interest, what's going to get them excited, so that you can kind of really really get them on on board from an emotional perspective, as well as making sure they've got that capacity to pick up what they actually need to do for the job. Mm. I guess one of the challenges as well, Alex, is that if you find really good salespeople, for example, who, who do a fantastic job of selling an exhibition, operationally, that event has still got to be delivered to a high standard with a good audience, because ultimately, the people that you've sold that exhibition, exhibition space two need to then have a good experience and a good show mm. and good results from that show in order to 
return. So yeah. I suppose in some respects, regardless of how good your salespeople are, it still comes back to, to, to the operational team and the marketing team delivering a really good event um, in order to satisfy the people that you've sold to. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the event is, doesn't matter if it's an exhibition, hospitality, conference, party, mm. every step of the process from, you know, the initial contact with a customer, taking a brief, mm. the, the creative uh, pitch that's put to the client to persuade them that, that, that they might go to the event, the introduction to the event management team, the pre-event, on-site, post-event, every part of that has to be perfect in order for you to have a conversation with a client to say, will you do it again? Is there anybody else that you can refer me to, you know, in your mm. business? Because, you know, recommendations worth you know, more than any marketing spend that, 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 you, that you can ever do. So, you, course, you, yeah. you know, there's an old adage, isn't there, that you're only as good as the weakest member of your team. So mm. if there's anybody weak on that journey, mm. I, I believe that a, a client could quite rightly say, well, you know, it, it was a good event, but, you know, the, the, the whatever it is uh registration on arrival you know where you know there were queues of people outside the venue not that it would obviously ever happen on any of our events uh but you know it, but all it would take would be for that to happen for a client particularly unless they were a very old client and you could have a conversation with them to say i'm sorry that'll never happen again they would quite rightly look elsewhere because there's such competition mm. uh, in, in the marketplace Sure, absolutely. You've got to be perfect. No, you, you, you do. And I, I parked the freelance question um, a, a few minutes ago, um, and it's something I wanted to ask because you know the, the, the industry, is, uh, as well you'll both know, is is populated by freelancers, individuals who job from one one event to another, and you know a day here, three days there, three weeks, you know somewhere else. Um, how much of the, the the recruitment problem is being either helped or hindered or solved by people who work freelance um and and do they fall into the recruitment um discussion mike uh the freelancers or are we really talking about fulfilling full-time employed positions within companies so so i mean look my my side of things is very much the, the permanent vacancy so we do occasionally get clients asking us if we know of anybody who might be available for a short-term contract um but but invariably, the the answer to that is no, because that's not that's not our our network. Um, certainly, I think there are positions being fulfilled by by freelancers and contractors. Just, I, I think less so now. I feel I, I feel like it's probably dropped off. But I think from an operations perspective, we saw those roles on a permanent basis coming back much much later than say mm -hmm. sales and marketing. Um, so my feeling at the time was that they must have been fulfilled by, by more freelancers or, or being outsourced, for example, um, because perhaps there was just still too much uncertainty to, to risk bringing on permanent operations team just in case, you know, an event had to get postponed again, for example. Uh, but, but we are seeing more permanent roles coming around from an operations perspective. In terms of sales and marketing, the only, I don't think we saw any short-term salespeople marketing it was it was just kind of the usual maternity covers and, th and things like that yeah, yeah. um yeah or, or people who were already in a in a contracting position um prior to the pandemic really um so, so no i mean I'd, but i'm interested to hear alex's um viewpoint from the yeah like, please oh. alex yeah we we've never really used freelancers that much only because i've perhaps had a slightly old-fashioned view that if 
we didn't have enough event managers to run a summer or a Christmas of really busy events, then we needed more uh, event managers. And and whilst, but but we have used them, and, and I think whilst they're able to deliver against a scope of work, it's quite hard for them to deliver the culture that AOK events delivers. You know that you know we would say you know that incredible customer service. You know that that, that doesn't just deliver. Um, you know, it doesn't just move people, you know, logistically, but emotionally, and, mm. and that's really hard to recruit for. Yeah. Um, but we've been, we, we, you know, we had a really busy July, and we we did start looking for freelancers until we finally found a couple of event managers who were able to start full time for us. But nearly all of the freelancers that we knew uh, from sort of pre-COVID were all in long-term, high-paid freelance positions. Right. six to 18 month positions yeah. on you know 400 450 quid a day um we are absolutely delighted for them mm-hmm. uh, but that they had no interest in coming and working you know for us for two or three weeks to help us out over the summer but i think i think as well you know the, to to try and achieve as close as possible that that flawless customer journey you know from from beginning to end and, and hopefully you know all the way to to the following year's event um you've got to have that cross-discipline collaboration you know the the sales the marketing content and operations they all need to be constantly in communication with each other so that um they they know what all of the pain points are what all what all the all the complaints all of the um absolutely the the positives that are being fed back to them from from the customers so that on, on all of those pillars the entire team is able to elevate that experience that the customers are having um mm. so, so that's why i think you know when i i talked earlier about operations perhaps being freelancers or or outsourced you have you know um operations businesses who are third party operations companies but they have built relationships with the exhibition organizers and those teams mm. so they're, they're almost like an extension of the team rather than just somebody parachuting in just for an event just to, to go again they've, they've kind of got that relationship there which i think is, is just incredibly important yeah it is yeah yeah um one thing uh, uh, with a, with one eye on the clock today gentlemen as we get towards the end of today's episode um i i wanted to sort of maybe get get an opinion on on um equality and and diversity you know pre pandemic there were uh, a lot of discussions about um diversity inclusion inclusivity equality all of those sort of terms from an employment point of view and wanting to have a more you know diverse set of employees within our sector um are are things like equality diversity from a recruitment point of view are are any sort of targets that were set pre-pandemic achievable at the moment given that we are not in a crisis but there are challenging times uh, you know still ahead in terms of recruitment and bringing people back into the industry is it case of uh, uh, that we maybe just need to sort of park equality and diversity in in favor of actually just finding the right people for the jobs so um in in short no it should never be parked um the find, finding the right people for the jobs absolutely yes but I, I think one of the shortcomings to date is that we it's the inclusivity side so from a recruitment perspective the vacancies within the events industry are not necessarily visible or inclusive enough in a variety of ways to attract people um from 
from every demographic mm -hmm. whether that is just that um, certain demographics you know are, are on different different platform platforms have different networks um, that they don't get to see the adverts for example whether it is the wording of the adverts that that are not in inclusive um it, some of it is incredibly subtle and there's as three white guys sat on a video call um mm -hmm. none of us have the lived experience um so we we are going to be constantly on a journey of learning how we you know how how the industry to date is not open to mm -hmm. everybody um and, and we just have to be open to the we have to be open-minded um, that there is always going to be a way in which we can improve the way we're communicating and uh, and I, I guess marketing the, the industry, you know, how, how we are pushing out the perception of our industry to people from every different demographic to make sure, sure that, that, that people feel that they can join it, to make sure they feel that they want to join it and to make sure that they are going to feel valued and respected if they make that decision to come on board so no it absolutely should not be parked and in terms of finding the right person for the right job if you the more senior you go the more experience you need so that's going to take much much longer i think to to get that kind of balance um, sure. in terms of diversity um but but there are still lots and lots of people from different you know different demographics who are capable of doing those more senior jobs and then when it comes to the entry level, um, you know, absolutely, there's there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to put in the effort now to make sure that we're getting the right the right balance of people coming into the industry. And then in the long term, that then helps helps that progression um, as people get promoted throughout their careers. Uh, I think uh, I agree with everything Mike said. I think the only thing I'll add from from my perspective is that, you know, I I think it still too soon to exclusivity tip box basis i i still need to recruit the best person for the job and i don't care care if they're boy girl black white old young if they're the best person for the job yeah. i'll i'll recruit them and i'm not thinking about whether i you know i've got my diversity quotient yeah. correct sure. with that piece of recruitment or not because tip boxes COVID, are, yeah it's a double edged I lost everybody that I'd earned in 20 years, you know, yeah. it, the whole lot disappeared. And that was only two years ago. We're rebuilding that balance sheet and that trust and, and everything like that. And I'm still mm. a reasonably long way away from being in a position where I'm recruiting people who I don't think are the standout candidate. Yeah. I think that the, the tick box thing is, is a double edged sword. If you've got targets or quotas that you're trying to fill, as soon as you feel that you've done that, you, you know, pe people will, will just sit back and think, okay, I'm all right now, I don't need to do anything else. Whereas actually we need to be getting to the root of the issue um, and, and trying to make sure that, as I said earlier, you know, we we are open to, to everybody who wants to work in this industry um, and that we are attractive to everybody. Um, to yeah, sure. if, if you talk to people who are very senior at you know banks, for instance, financial services, where they are recruiting, Based on it, you know, if you're a white, middle-aged, out-of-work, fifty-year-old, getting a senior job in financial services is currently close to impossible um, because people, you just don't, you just don't fit mm. the criteria by which banks are currently, you know, currently recruiting. But if you ask the people within the bank, they'll go, "It's absolute madness. We're not getting mm. the best people for the job. We're just getting the most diverse people, you mm -hmm. know, for, for 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 the job." and uh, 
you know it, it, it's so tricky yeah and ultimately i suppose it, it comes back down to making the industry attractive to everybody you know the, the, the more people who are attracted to the industry the bigger the candidate pool will be from which we can recruit and bring people into the industry events industry is brilliant it is such fun you meet uh, an enormous pool of people you get to see the world laugh a lot but agencies recruiters uh, in-house uh, rights holders have to pitch candidates that that the, the, the job role is going to be fulfilling, that the culture, once they get to their place of work, you know, is going to be fun, progressive, and that everybody, regardless of their position at the company, has career development opportunities yeah. ahead of them. It doesn't matter if you're a 22-year-old first jobber, uh, you know, or, or, you know, old hack like me, everybody needs to know that you've got, that there's space above you that you can move into. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, gentlemen, it's been fascinating talking to you today. And I feel like we've only, you know, in, in sort of coming up to 35 minutes, really just sort of scratched the surface of what is potentially, a far, well, is definitely a far bigger discussion. Um, and, and maybe it's something that we pick up a bit further down the line, you know, that this is a sort of thing that maybe chronologically, we need to explore, you know, in, in three months time in six months time to see where yeah. we sit at those points. Maybe you become the event industry news podcast, you know, recruitment specialists, our go to correspondent to find out what's happening in the industry so yeah open invite chaps um come back on again <laughs> maybe in a few months time if you if you're up yeah. for that and uh and g give us a bit of an update as to where you both are and and what's happening in in your respective organizations it would it would be great to hear from you um bef before we do wrap um let's give you both a chance that if anybody listening to this or watching this today wants to maybe get in touch find out a bit more about your organizations mike let's come to you first of all with expocast how do people get in touch how will they find you uh, so I'm I'm pretty searchable on on LinkedIn uh, and and I'm very open with my contact details. But um, if somebody wants to drop me an email, it's just Mike at expocast.co.uk. Fantastic. And uh, Alex, so, same to you. If anybody will find that wants to find out about AOK events and get in touch with you, uh, yeah, aokevents.com or aokcreative.co.uk. Uh, uh, Instagram is probably the place where new positions within the company is advertised. First of all, it's actually where we have lots of people that follow us just for the for the jobs that we put up. Uh, but if anybody yeah, wants to drop me an email, it's alex at aokevents.com. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And um, maybe just a little shout out for the um, for the AO uh, Employee Benchmark and Salary Study 2022. I'm sure that's available directly from the AO. So anybody listening to this or watching this today who hasn't seen that report, um, have a little search for it on the internet via the AO sort of channels. I'm sure we'll be able to find that. And um, certainly some interest in reading that. A lot of information, a lot of effort gone into that study and, um, and worth casting your eye over. Of course, if you want to cast your eye over something else, you can head over to the event industry news website eventindustrynews.com if you are listening to this podcast today head over there check out the latest news features and supplements uh, special features find out what's going on in the industry with daily news updates and of course the legendary event industry news a to z supplier directory if you are already on the website and you are watching this today thank you very much for tuning in and don't forget that you can go to wherever you get your audio podcasts from search for the event industry news podcast and you can download and subscribe to the new episodes of the event industry news podcast to listen to whilst you're out and about and commuting to and from your events or your places of work or if you're out jogging in the park 
give us a listen and give us a subscribe on one of those podcast platforms. Um, it brings us to the end of today's episode. Our thanks once again to Mr. Alex Hewitt, CEO at AOK Events, for joining us. Alex, it's been great to have you on board. Hope you hope to see you again on another episode further down the line. A pleasure. Thank you, James. And of course, Mike Frost, co-founder at ExpoCast. Mike, thanks for being uh, our guest or one of our guests today. And uh, as I said, open invite, chaps. Come back in, in a few months' time. Let's pick up this conversation again. There's loads more we can talk about, and I'm sure loads more that will happen and we'll be aware of come the end of this year and into the early part of uh, 2023. Thanks to you both. Thanks to all of our listeners and subscribers who tune in regularly to these episodes of the podcast. We do appreciate all of your support, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye, everybody.